and welcome to these audio didactic recordings from Project Echo, Westwick PHN Hub. Series 8, Session 5, it's Thursday 24th of February 2022. Welcome back to our network. This session is titled Accessing Oral Antiviral Therapy out west. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways from which we're all zooming in from today. We recognise the diversity, resilience and the ongoing place that First Nations people hold in our communities. We pay our respects to elders both past and present and commit to working together in the spirit of mutual understanding, respect and reconciliation. And we support self-determination for First Nations people and organisations and we'll work together on closing the gap. Well, this week we mark an anniversary of the vaccine rollout in Australia in just 12 months, long months, though they seemed at the time. We adapted to this new technology and collectively rolled out two doses to over 95% of our adult community and followed up with a third dose to over 60%. While we'll revisit vaccines in next week's series, it's the other biological interventions uh, for SARS-CoV-2 that we'll be discussing today and marking a new milestone in the legacy of this pandemic, oral antivirals. One month ago, the oral antivirals, um, Molnupur, <laughs> and we're going to get good at this, guys, Molnupiravir, how did I go, Rachel? Is that right? Molnupiravir, Lagevrio, I don't do the yeah, brand name very say, well. Say it with an American accent. Molnupiravir. Yeah, well, that's the way that I got taught to say all the antibiotics by one of my bosses. Okay, great. <laughs> Nematrivir, Ritonavir, uh, Nematrivir and Ritonavir is Paxlovid, and they were approved by the TGA for use by eligible patients and to be distributed at first through the National Medical Stockpile, which is something quite different, I guess, for us. So that's, we want to get our head around that this morning um, to priority populations as prescribed by the GP. So the questions we'll be asking this morning is, How do these oral antivirals compare and differ? Who is eligible for these therapies and in whom would citrovimab infusion or Paxlovid be preferred to molnupiravir? What are the drug interactions, adverse effects, contraindications that we need to be aware of prior to prescribing? So it's going to be up to us, but there's quite a few cautions, I gather. Um, What are some of the practical issues in regards to administration? How do we in primary care sector work with our colleagues in health services, RACs and ATCHOs to consider this prioritisation while we've got restricted supply? Um, How will the national medical stockpile work and how will GPs and or patients access these medications in a timely manner given they need to be done within the first five days of symptoms? And what is the forecast for this medication in regards to its availability through the PBS in the coming months? So these are some of the questions we'll be focusing on this morning. We've, um, I'm Bianca Forrester, GP I'm facilitating today with our ECHO team, um, Fee, and thanks Katrina for filling in for Gemma um, and to uh, Zach and Jade for offline work. Welcome all our participants from Westwick regions and observers coming in from outside. And welcome to you. Thanks for introducing yourself in the chat, whether you're walking in bed, in a breakfast club or um, however else. Tell us how you do your echoes. Um, we welcome you this morning. Um, so what have we uh, got? Um, we're going to, yeah, we skip through all our aims, but we do want to let you know about cameras. Um, we do share the didactic, but the rest of it we keep um, just between ourselves. So you can switch your cameras off during the didactic if you like, but we'd love to see your faces otherwise. It's uh, really nice to see everyone. Thanks for sending in cases and templates. These echoes are getting better and better at what you will notice is more of you guys. So all the questions that you're sending through and all the vignettes that come through make Echo good and we build the curriculum from the ground up. So thanks for continuing to send those through and responding to our emails when we um, tap you on the shoulder. Appreciate that. 
All right. So um, what have we got on the agenda today? Kate Graham, um, GP Clinical Editor of Health Pathways and COVID Clinical Advisor is going to, um, oh, I probably needed to change this. Kate's going to talk to us about the change in directions, I guess is the key focus today. And while there are changes with antivirals and vaccines, we've got antivirals and vaccines for our didactics. So she'll be focusing on some of the changes and what they might mean for um, uh, health health services. We're well. We're joined back by Rachel Cowan. It's so delightful to see you again, Rachel. So for those of you who are, um, have been coming to Echo since 2020, Rachel was a regular um, in 2020. Um, she's head of infectious diseases, Ballarat Health Services, and is going to run us through oral treatments and local pathways. Now, we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Nom Mothobi. Um, Nom's a newcomer, and we welcome Nom. She's an ID physician um, joining Bowen Health and Bowen Southwest Public Health Unit. She'll talk about the local pathways for Barwon and the Southwest region. And Linda will wrap it up with a PHN update. Welcome to Naomi White, um, um, someone else who's uh, a long-term person in our region, but new kid on the block for the PHN. So Naomi's come across from Ballarat Health Services and the Grampian PHU um, to join us at PHN to map COVID pathways for our region. And so she's very involved in, I guess, what's going to be happening with this national medical stockpile as well. So um, do get to know Naomi and reach out if you've got any pathways questions and um here's our, our our learning outcomes for today and don't forget to fill out our evaluation session at the end we love to hear from you okay over to you kate graham thanks good morning everyone well i'm hoping to have a less active echo than last week in which one of my children returned a positive rat midway through echo so i feel that we really should have been live streaming that particular event um, so, however, now I am free and I'm here with you today. So, COVID safe settings are changing. Um, so, in the pandemic orders, they're due for a change again on Friday at 11.59pm. What this means is they're released online at 11.59pm as well. So, we often don't get a lot of forewarning apart from what's released in the media releases as to what's happening. Um, so, I think what we can confirm is that QR codes won't be required anymore in general practice related settings because they're only going to be uh, required in the vaccine-based economy. So places where you need your vaccination certificate um, to participate in retail mainly and um, hospitality um, and in some other settings in that regards. So open premises um, in general. Masks in community health service settings, I think, is where we're going to have a lot of questions and we'll want to sort of analyse things carefully, both within the orders, where our practice sits um, in terms of alongside a health service um, or if it sits on its own as a private business and what that may mean for our private business. So I think we've been in this position before. Um, we've had this issue where masks have been mandated in other settings, um, in healthcare, in hospital services and in nursing homes, but not in primary care, and we've navigated it before. Um, so I think refreshing back to where you were at that point in time, we're at a different stage now um, in terms of we've got higher community spread, but we also have higher vaccination levels. And I think we have to go back to those first principles of what you're trying to protect. So you're trying to protect yourself and your workforce. So that involves keeping up your own personal protection with mask wearing for yourself and your staff and making sure that that's done correctly. Uh, but then thinking about your vulnerable patients and how you're going to sort of protect them and make sure that they're not sitting in waiting rooms for long amounts of time, um, 
with other people who may not be wearing masks. Uh, vaccine requirements, again, there will be a bit more clarity on in terms of booster dose requirements potentially in there. So testing, five rat tests are now available from state sites for all contacts. Um, so that's really important to sort of um, communicate out at present. Um, and schools will continue rat testing throughout term one. It started in kinder, which is where all my problems started last week. So uh, we'll just go on to the next slide. So in terms of vaccinations, just quickly breezing over these because we're going to go through them in a lot more detail at later stages. Novavax is now available, not approved as a booster yet. And Spikevax or Moderna has been TGA approved for six to 11-year-olds. There's a good statement which kind of runs through everything that you need to know. Uh, Pfizer Pediatric remains the preferred vaccine for this age group. This isn't related to sort of anything in terms of studies or efficacy. It's mainly related to the fact that there's no pediatric specific formulation for the Moderna vaccine. So there's a risk of dosing um, and in particular overdosing errors um, being an issue, but underdosing is also a problem because you're looking at that differing dose between adult doses and having to measure it out differently compared to adults. So in the future, we're looking at zero to four-year-old vaccines are currently in trials for the FDA. There are new vaccines um, that are currently in trials overseas. Um, and they're also looking at um, vaccine trials with some pediatric vaccines um, linked to COVID vaccine as well, which may make a difference for pediatric populations at some point. So next slide. Uh, COVID positive care pathways, we're in the process of updating them. Hopefully we should have a lot more information on this in the referral pages uh, for confirmed COVID referrals. And that's going to be where you're going to find a lot of this referral information about the medications that we'll talk about today. Uh, we're updating the positive um, care pathway for Western Victoria at the moment, just to include some more information about the oral antivirals. So I'll just go on to the next slide quickly. Um, and so this is just where the referral options will sit. And I think, is there one more? So the pre-submitted questions, I'll mainly leave those to our resident experts, but I just wanted to flag something. So one of the issues that we sort of saw is what about when a patient can't swallow, particularly for Legevrio, um, because this has come into our aged care facilities and they are quite large capsules and they're hard capsules. And so Professor Kidd, um, Deputy Chief uh, Medical Officer of Australia, um, discussed in the webinar, which we'll have a link in the slides, uh, about what the potential is. He's got some information from the manufacturers about this, but we really wanted to flag that this is an off-label use. It's not been studied in terms of efficacy or anything like that. It's a theoretical use. We'll have some information on health pathways from the manufacturer, but I think the main aim is to sort of look at alternative options primarily and then if that doesn't work, then we do have this as a backup kind of thing to think about, but looking at informed consent as always. So I think that's all for me. 
Great. Thank you, Kate. Now I um thank you. And because we're thank you, because you have a race ahead of time, which is wonderful. I'm gonna say thanks for joining us this morning, Rosemary. I wondered, I've got two minutes. Have you got anything that you wanted to update us about from the Grampians Public Health Unit in relation to any of the changes? Um, Hello, sorry to spring that on you, Rosemary. <laughs> Hi Bianca, this is unexpected. Um Look, in the Grampians Public Health Unit, clearly we're looking to see how we're travelling with respect to daily cases. We haven't actually had much of a drop yet. We're expecting those to tail off, but we're still seeing around in our region about 2,000, 2,200 active cases a day. And what we're seeing now is a second generation of spread from children, we think, to their parents. So it's not unexpected that we're now seeing a, um, not, a, not a tailing off as we might have expected if it was just restricted to the children, but potentially household spread now. So that's our hypothesis. We haven't had the chance to test it, but that may well be happening. And uh, not unexpectedly, we do know that even triple vaccination doesn't prevent all uh, manifestations of COVID, um, especially in my experience in younger people. So it may well be that uh, we're seeing some sort of second generation transmission now, household transmission to those parents. And that's why our numbers aren't tailing off like we expected. I think um, Rachel and uh, Kate have you know, done a great job and always do with respect to the clinically relevant information. But if you are seeing now older, uh, you know, the parents of children coming through, I think that's the, what's been happening in that situation. Great. Thanks, Rosemary. All right, Rachel, over to you and welcome, Norm. Hello. <laughs> um, thanks for that. And, um, yeah, I mirror with what uh, Rosemary's actually saying in terms of parents uh, getting it from their children at the moment. So it's that roll-on effect. And a lot of people still aren't triply boosted either and there still has that two-week lag time in terms of efficacy around the vaccine. So it is very much um, being passed on. However, we know that the severity and hospitalisation and certainly what we're seeing at BHS front is that we're having next to nobody in ICU uh, and the, the hospitalisations are definitely reduced although we've got a lot of people just because there's a lot in the region, proportionally it's a lot less in hospitalisation, but also the fact that they're not staying as long and they're not as sick um, and they're often coming in with something else as well. And that's that's what we're actually seeing. So I'll just share my screen. Just um, as we're moving on, guys, I just want to put the feelers out. You know, strategy-wise, just as we were in 2021, it was vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. This year it's boosters, boosters, boosters. But there's a bit of a vibe in the population of, oh, well, it's mild. But hang on, isn't it just mild in people who have been adequately immunised? Um, so what are you seeing, guys? And uh, is there anything else we need to think about for next week when we talk about vaccines around how to move those uh, those people into Oh, this looks fantastic, Rachel. You've, you've, you've stopped me in my tracks. Do tell. <laughs> Over to you. Oh, no, no, no. Keep going. Keep talking. I was just trying oh, no, to yeah. share. With... <laughs> just start burbling some things through the chat. I want you to let us know a bit about what you're seeing in terms of what are some of the people's, what are people's hesitations around those third doses? Because strategy-wise, that's what we kind of still really very much need to do to protect. Um, but um, unlike our champion rates of um, second doses at over 90%, 95% for our whole region, um, it seems like those boosters are lagging. So what's going on? Pulse check in primary care. Let us know. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks very much, Bianca. All right, so for all of those of my generation, um, <laughs> you'll probably remember these guys, except for the fact that I can never, could never have remembered who was in what band anyway. Um, we know that there's been provisional approval for 
nermatrelavir, trelavir, <laughs> see, I struggle with it as well, and ritonavir and molnupiravir as well. Um, I just thought I'd put in this, the, how to pronounce it. Um, it's only licensed, or they're only really approved for adults over 18, that for people that don't require oxygen and within five days of symptom onset. So that's with any of the treatments. We actually need to get in there early. Um, I just thought I'd put this schematic up there because I think it's really important to have a look uh, at where, where things are placed and how uh, the mechanism of action is a little bit different to a lot of the other agents. So we know that, you know, this is the SARS-CoV and that the monoclonal antibodies actually block these little pink spike proteins and prevent entry into the cell. So we know that. What happens then, uh, it's a very, this is a very simple schematic, but uh, is that you get breakdown of the virus, you get uh, production or translation of that RNA to produce protein. And what the virus does is it uses their own protease to basically cut apart the viral proteins and then what happens is, is that that RNA is then covered, uh, is then copied by an RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, polymerase. Sorry. Oh, wow. Word finding difficulties. Not enough coffee. Anyway, so this is where Paxilid actually works in that it's a protease inhibitor. So it inhibits the production of these uh, the proteins because it actually stops the protease from working so it, it stops the assembly of virus uh, with the proteins because the proteins haven't been clipped and cleaved um, with the RNA polymerase inhibitor with molnupiravir and um, what we and remdesivir works at this area as well is that we don't get the RNA production molnupiravir is a little bit different in that it doesn't actually stop the production of RNA it just gets incorporated into the RNA makes the RNA faulty and so it can't actually produce more RNA because it it's it's broken effectively and defective so it works that that way um, so it's a little bit different to sort of chain termination which we see uh, with other agents so just going into the specifics so it's, it's really interesting. I kind of feel like we're back in the age of sort of HIV where we're approving agents for use with not enormous trials. So in order to get anything to the market, you actually need two enormous, usually two enormous phase three trials um, approved by the FDA, concurrently run one in the States and one uh, international, internationally elsewhere, uh, and that data is then presented to the FDA for approval. Obviously, there is an imperative around treatment for COVID, and so things are getting through with just one, you know, basically one trial and a couple of thousand patients. So a lot of the theoretical benefit is there. So we know that, as I said before, um, Paxlovid or Nermatrelvir, I keep going to say Trelovir, uh, and Ritonavir is a protease inhibitor. Now, the thing with um, Paxlovid is that it's actually two tablets, and the ritonavir is used very much uh, like it's used in HIV, in which what it does, it's used in a very small dose. It blocks the CYP3A pathway in the liver for metabolism of nem nemotrelvir. Um, 
and blocks that metabolism. And as a result, you actually get increased levels of nermotrelb in the serum. And so you don't need as big a dose for um, efficacy. So this is the same kind of concept as a, a boosted protease inhibitor in the setting of HIV infections. Um, in the phase three, uh, two, three double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trial, what they actually showed, as you can see here, and quite significantly, so this is the uh, placebo in the blue, and in the red is the Paxlovid, is that we have quite a significant uh, relative risk reduction of hospitalisation and death, so all-cause hospitalisation and death, across 28 days in the measure of about 89%. So it is actually very efficacious uh, in that setting, very similar to citrovimab, which is, sits at about 85%. As I said, it's two tablets, so two, uh, three, two types of tablets, so two 150 milligram tablets plus 100 of uh, ritonavir twice a day for five days with or without food. There are some precautions uh, with a reduction in dose with renal function that you only take one of the nematrelvir um, tablets with the ritonavir. And the contraindications, obviously, hypersensitivity to anything that's in there. Renal function is a severe renal function and severe hepatic dysfunction are really the two major um, hypersensitivity, uh, sorry, two major contraindications. And it's not actually recommended in uh, people under 18 years. So really, citrovimab is the only thing that's available for 12 to 17-year-olds over 40 kilos. Um, not recommended in less than 18 in pregnancy or breastfeeding. And most of that is actually related to um, a lack of data at the moment. Um, and side effects include um, altered taste, diarrhoea, headache and vomiting. Now, the biggest issue probably with Paxlovid is really around drug-drug interactions and that a lot of that's related to the ritonavir. Um, and so there's an additional level of complexity around the use. So we know the restrictions. There's this enormous list or and it's not exhaustive list in terms of what is contraindicated uh, for use um, and if you can stop those drugs for eight days while you take it then that's great if you can't there is this fantastic website um, if you even if you just put liverpool eye chart um, covid it'll come up and you can put your drugs in there but this is going to be part of what we will do at our end. And then if there's any red or amber interactions, um, there's some issues around using it in HIV, obviously, then you don't get Paxlovid at all. Molnupiravir um, uh, is, as I said, binds to the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase and actually stops uh, synthesis of the RNA. Um, it, as Kate was alluding to, it's actually four 200 milligram tablets and it's it's quite large, um, which is uh, very disappointing. And for both of those tablets, you can't actually either open the capsule or crush or break the, the tablet. So they need to be swallowed whole. Um, precautions are around breastfeeding and, uh, and if you uh, have a woman of childbearing age, they need to... Uh, use contraception for the period of four days post-treatment, during treatment and post-treatment. And interestingly, which I need to investigate a little bit more, is that males are actually recommended not to have um, 
to use appropriate contraception for three months post-treatment if they're uh, with a woman of childbearing age, which is a which is an interesting thing that I do need to look into. Obviously, hypersensitivity, not for pregnancy in 18 years, and side effects are uh, diarrhea, nausea, and dizziness, and they're not enormous. The things we, the thing with the molnupiravir is that in the trial, it's a very limited efficacy. So it's really around a relative risk reduction of about 30%. So they, it drops sort of hospitalization and all cause death down to 6.9% from 9.7%. Uh, so not that effective. So although it's been dropped into all of the um, nursing homes, it's, it's not quite as effective. So it's kind of seen as a third line agent at the moment. So access. So aim is to treat those people who aren't in hospital. And the major issue at the moment is it's a very limited supply. And so there's a very uh, significant restriction around who uses it and how it's used. And we're in all sorts of concern around who is being excluded in this. Um, we know that the molnupiravir was actually directed to the residential aged care facilities and sort of almost like dropped from a plane without any instructions um, and very disappointingly so uh, for you guys. But there are eventual plans to list them on the PBS. Now, normally with the PBS, you need to get a drug this TGA approved and then the PBAC, Pharmaceutical Benefits Assessment Committee, I think is what it is, um, take about a year normally for most drugs to actually approve. So I'm not quite sure. I think the government's trying to do some weird and wonderful things to try and circumvent that and get them listed on the PBS so you can use them. But there are very large holes at the moment due to supply restriction. Um, and so those that are unvaccinated between 18 and 55 and those that are partially vaccinated between 18 and 75 are not actually eligible for any of these treatments. And I find that really concerning because looking at the population that's ended up in hospital, it's in this population that we're actually seeing those people. But yes, we're seeing the immunosuppressed and yes, they're doing poorer, poorer but the ones that are in the hospital, I reckon 85% of our work is related to this population of people. So um, it's around international constraints at the moment. So I'm hoping it's going to be like rat tests and they'll be falling from the sky. This is a very busy slide, but it's basically the approval process. Looking at, I'll go through that, uh, sort of the immunocompromised, unvaccinated portion. And normally what we do is we recommend uh, Paxlovid first, or citrovimab if there's some sort of contraindication around Paxlovid. We've just found out that there is some significant um, uh, shortages with the Paxlovid at the moment uh, in that uh, the Alfred are actually trying to scavenge citrovimab from places that aren't using it at the moment. So uh, we're in a bit of dire straits around citrovimab. Um, and if that neither of those are appropriate, that's when we're going to the... Um, when we're going to the Monopiravir. Just regarding what you can do, this is the priority table. So it's a little bit confusing also with the document that they sent out. And we're hoping that um, there have been some recommendations from the um, ID expert working group that Caroline Bartolo, who I know you know, is on uh, that committee to try and expand it to make it much more appropriate around who's being used. But currently, anyone who's immunocompromised, and that's any biologic as well, um, unvaccinated individuals, older Indigenous populations as well, uh, comorbidities as well, and then partially vaccinated, it's, it's predominantly the Indigenous pregnant women over 13 weeks gestation. So we don't um, 
they're only recommended for citrovimab and not for the tablets. Um, this is the form that we get to tick and tick all these boxes that in order to get approval to be sent through. Um, as far as access to us, um, obviously around access, because there is such limitations, it's really around using the um, BHS at home pathway. So there is a COVID navigator nurse um, and a BHS at home COVID referrals. And that's, uh, we're getting more and more uh, people involved with this uh, and headed by Alison Miller. And thank you for the GPs that are actually helping out in that, in that space. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, the most essential thing that you guys can do though is to really give us an accurate medication list because it is the issue with that, um, with that um, uh, drug, those drug-drug interactions. And what will happen is that we'll do an initial screen when the approval comes in, work out whether they're appropriate for Paxlovid. If there's any complexity around it or any chance that we could potentially hold off, say, on a simvastatin or a statin for seven days or eight days or something like that, we'll actually get double-checked with pharmacy as well to be able to do that. We're getting some money to, to help with that. Um, that's the drug interaction website and then all patients um, need to be ticked off by the COVID consultant that's actually on call regarding eligibility. We do all the paperwork and the prescription and we're currently at the moment looking at logistics around getting how do we get these drugs to the people so you know do we do we courier them out to them if they're sort of more remote so the plan is to have them more uh, remote be able to get them more remote or get a family member or a or a a friend to actually pick it up um, and so I'll just stop there thank you well that almost concludes our didactic content for this morning we won't bring you the recording of the case discussion but come along and join the discussion next week we'll leave it this morning with the PHN update Linda Govard we're going to head over to you and Jeff um, Kate was describing um, there is some guidance from um, Commonwealth about being able to dissolve those tablets. So um, I think it was hopefully on the and slide. And the NPS um, resource is added in the chat. So we'll pop that in Thank um, you. as well. Over to you, Linda. Thanks. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Uh, again, just a quick update. Got a minute. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Linda. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, the 5 to 11 rates uh, for the from the 20th of Feb, um, I haven't got the comparison for last week, but they've gone up about 2% um, across the board. And we're, again, we're, we're definitely ahead of the national average there. So that's good for our 5 to 11s, but still a slow process. Um, boosters don't have the national um, stat there to compare, but again, there's about a 4% increase across the board from last week in the, um, in the movements of our booster vaccination rate. So again, it's just slow and steady. So that's what we're seeing for both of those. Um, next slide, in regards to Novavax, we've seen practices starting this week um, in the Bowen Southwest re region. We've had 26 practices come on this week, seven next week, and one coming on the 14th. So it's an open EOI. So if you're interested, just um, email our COVID inquiry um, email and we can pass on your information to the Commonwealth. Um, Grampians, there's seven practices that have started this week, two from next week. Um, and that, uh, yeah, the link there just links to our webpage, which lists all the practices that have got what, what vaccines um, practices are, are administering. Um, next slide. Thank you. 
The um, regarding PPE, this is probably um, lots of information here, and we'll send it out today now, one of our emails. But just pay attention regarding it, PPE. We've had advice from the Federal Department of Health um, of changes to the process for requesting PPE from the National Stockpile. The key changes for noting are that there's now separate eligibility criteria for ordering the living with COVID PPE bundles, and I've got what are in those bundles there, and the emergency provision for PPE. So the bundle, the living with COVID bundles are available per individual GP and able to be ordered once every four weeks with the following criteria. Uh, and I don't think I'll read through that criteria because it will go out in, in the information that we're sending out, but there is some changes to note there. Um, next slide, there is still the opportunity to order emergency provision of PPE if there's no local supplies available. And this is also available for practice nurses and allied health. Uh, pharmacy, oh, oh, lost slide. slide, that's all right. Ph pharmacies are also eligible for the bundles only if they're administering um, the vaccination. So that, that's a bit of a change for them as well. We'll have the new order forms and fact sheets up on our website. I'm not sure if they're gonna be up by today or by, by tomorrow, they'll be there. But um, yeah, I would just encourage you to have a look at the accompanying fact sheets as well. The extra information that the, the department are asking is that you will need to provide individual provider numbers for each GP putting in an order. So there is some process changes there. Um, and we'll also have a, fit, a comment section as well, just so you can let us know um, how you feel about the changes because um, yeah, they're, they, are, they are quite significant. Um, in, again, in general, if you've got any queries, just use our COVID inquiry uh, email address to get in touch with the team. That's all. Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much. And thanks, Linda. Sorry to um, have you rush. I'm hoping that you guys now feel a bit more clear with the oral antivirals. Thank you so much, Norman Rachel. What a delight to have um, two ID physicians across our region with us to share um, your expertise. This is going to be an interesting one to, um, to be putting into practice and implementing. So I think we may need to revisit this as uh, these systems and processes work their way through our region. Um, we did have a case this morning that we we haven't done. I'm um, so apologies, um, but I would love to come back to that because it um, unpacks some things around serology. And Nom and I had a very interesting conversation about serology. Um, so let's come back to that next week. Um, please evaluate, uh, jump on, and give us some feedback. Tell us about what you want more and less of. Um, and uh, we're going to come to you next week with um, vaccines with Dr. Callum Mags, and we've got a great case. Um, so thanks everyone. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening and come along and join the discussion next week. Google Westfic PHN Project Echo COVID-19 Pandemic Response Network and you'll find a way to register. By registering, we'll send you reminders each week and we'll let you know what's coming up in the sessions and you'll also receive our resource pack that includes notes, podcasts, webinars, slide decks and any resources mentioned in the discussion. Thanks for listening.